Welcome back to another episode of Writing for a Change, a podcast from Moody Publishers, where we take an inside look at the authors transforming our lives and shaping the world. I'm your host, Drew Dick. I'm an editor and author. And if you are a savvy listener, you may have noticed that there's a slight change to the name of this podcast. Um, Hitherto, here for two, what's the word? It has been um, reading for a change. And uh, recently, uh, the team that's involved with this podcast, uh, that sounds a little more grandiose than it is, or like three of us, but we got together, uh, virtually that is, and said, hey, how's it going? You know, what's the emphasis been like? Uh, how's the, the, the feedback been? And basically, we decided, you know what, obviously, this podcast is about books. But even more than that, it's about authors, because we're kind of giving an inside look into the motivations, the uh, the process uh, of writers, of authors, uh, giving you a little glimpse into the publishing industry as well. Uh, and I think that's interesting, not only for readers, but people that are aspiring authors as well. So we're changing the emphasis a little bit, hence the new name, Writing for a Change. I hope that doesn't just cause massive confusion and, and anger. Um, but I wanted to explain that. Uh, and our guest today is going to be very helpful toward um, that end. Uh, our guest today is Jared C. Wilson. I'm going to add the C just in case you're Googling him so you can find him more easily. Uh, Jared is a prolific and award-winning author of more than a dozen books, including Gospel Wakefulness, uh, The Pastor's Justification, The Imperfect Disciple. That's my favorite book of his, by the way. Uh, and The Gospel According to Satan. Aren't those great titles? <laughs> uh, Jared was a pastor for over a decade. Now he is an assistant professor of pastoral ministry at Spurgeon College. He's also uh, the author in residence there, which sounds super cool. Jared, welcome to the podcast. True. Thank you, brother. It's good to be with you. Oh, man, I appreciate it. And I should tell our listeners that we're BFFs. I mean, we know each other. This isn't our first conversation. No. Right? Yeah, you were out here in Portland. We hung out. That was a few years ago. I have had the pleasure of being in your home, meeting your lovely wife, Becky, and she fed me way too much food. <laughs> that's, that's her spiritual gift. That is. It is. I mean, last year, Jared and I uh, climbed Mount Everest together. And that was that was breathtaking, you know? Yeah. Being, being your Sherpa on that trip was the highlight of my life, Drew, I have to say. Yeah. As I recall it, you you passed out at one point with elevation sickness, and I carried you the last 5,000 meters to the summit. See, I remember it the other way around. I wonder if altitude sickness has messed with your memory. It could be. Yeah, it does. It kind of messes your memory up. So regardless, it, it was quite an experience. Okay, the Everest thing is a bit of a lie, but the other two things are true. <laughs> out, out here in my neck of the woods, Portland, and at his house. So I love the, the, the drop off from that. So we haven't climbed Everest. But no. we have hung out. <laughs> <laughs> a, yeah, I'm sorry. It's a little anticlimactic, right? If, uh, yeah. <laughs> For everyone that was tracking with the Everest thing, like, wow, these guys are in great shape. That's that's incredible. <laughs> well, I am now after Everest. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, we got to do it now, actually. So I'll start training. Okay. Um, well, Jared. Um, you're just the perfect guy to be on this podcast because you you are not only just a skilled wordsmith, but you're incredibly prolific, which I admire and am slash envious of. Um, <laughs> you know, people do ask me, um, you know, Drew, how have you managed to write three books? 
in your 43 years on this planet. It's quite a feat. And I tell them, I'm, I'm pretty transparent about my process. I say, you know, I write the book. Then after I finish, I spend about a year kind of doubting whether what I wrote was any good. Then another <laughs> year after that, doubting myself, just, you know, real self-loathing. Uh, then a year after that, just chilling out. And then by the fourth year, I'm thinking, hey, maybe I'll write another book. And then by the fifth year, I kind of get back to my computer. So that's how I've managed to crank out three books. How many books have you written now or have you lost count? Uh, I've sort of lost count. If you include, <laughs> if you include like the Bible studies, I think yeah, I'm at, I think the co-authored I'm at, books. Yeah, well, I'm not, so not including co-authored, but if you include Bible studies, I think I'm at 21. My goodness. Okay. If you include, if you include co-authored, I, I'm at 24. Wow. Wow. So, That's yeah, something like that. Yeah. So I said, a, I said over a dozen, which is true. It is but true. Yeah. Technically. Way over a dozen. Okay. So the big question that I had, and I've teased you a little bit online about this, but how do you write so many dang books and not just like, you know, cranking them out like they're uh, Amish romance. These are good uh, books with substance and style. How do you write so many books? I know it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting question. I feel like my answer is, is really boring. I, I don't know what else to do and I don't have any hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. So it's, it's just something that's always, I, I don't know, been, been in me to do, even since I was a little kid, I've, hmm. I've, I've been a writer. And so it's, yeah, it's, it, it, it it's just a weird question, especially because it's part of my job as well. Sure. Um, is to produce and, and, and not just, you know, books, but writing online and things like that. So it is just part of everyday life and part of my, yeah, part of the outlook that I have for the year. It's not, will I write a book this year? It's what, what book am I writing, you know, this hmm. year? That's kind of how I approach it, I guess. Yeah. So are you like a, a Stephen King guy where, you know, his thing is that he writes every day, even on Christmas? No, see, that's the other thing too. And I feel like I'm, I'm, ter I'm a terrible role model in this regard because I'm not very disciplined. It, if, if I was more disciplined, I think I would be more prolific. If you can imagine that, I would be more, <laughs> I'd, <laughs> I'd be more productive. I don't want to imagine that. Okay. But no, yeah, but, but I don't have like a daily, yeah, I don't have like a daily goal or, um, and I'm not writing in one particular project every day. I don't parse it out like that. I'm typically writing, if I have a, you know, a book project, I'm typically, you know, I've done some work in it outlined and, and, you know, research and things like that. But in terms of like sitting down and actually pouring it out, that's typically in the, in about a month to two months, you know, six to eight weeks before it's due. Those deadlines help, right? <laughs> they, yes, they certainly do. Yeah. The deadlines help. But but I've always operated that way. Even you know when I was in school, um, there, there's something about the pressure of it. And I also think um, if I was to space something out where I was only doing a bit of it um, at a time over the span of a year or six months or whatever, I don't know that it would have the kind of momentum that I would feel that it needs. There's an element of, of passion to hmm. you know to my process, I think. And also just the cohesive thought, like if, I, if I'm writing in a shorter time span, there's more of a uh, through line in, in the book, because if I'm writing over the span of six months to a year or, or whatever it is, I, you know, I may forget <laughs> by the end what I was saying in the beginning. And, 
Sure. There's something about that cohesive, like staying on track and, and, uh, you know, it just kind of pouring out. Yeah. Okay. So, well, my next question, which maybe you've answered because it, it may not be an answerable question. What does an average day of writing look like for you? Like on those days where you are maybe in that one or two month window when you're really going to crank out a book, what do those days look like? Yes. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty much um, all, all day writing. Um, oh, wow. Unless I just have something else going on that I need to get to, um, I I typically get out of the house. Um, this is when you know everything's not shut down and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so on and so forth. Uh, but I like to get out of the house. Um, I, I'm, I'm more productive when I'm in public, like at a third place, like a coffee oh, shop. Yeah. Isn't that the best? Like that. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know why that is because I, you know, I'm an introvert. Um, and I have learned that extroverts or at least the extroverts that I know tend to say the opposite. If they're going to, you know, need to focus on something, they need to be in a quiet room where no one else is around. So they work from home or, or something like that. The introverts I know, um, we like to be out and I I don't know what the juxtaposition of that is, but for me, I kind of like that white noise of just kind of the din in the background, you know, of a right. coffee shop, the kind of the yes. music overhead or something. Um, and it, you know, if there's loud conversations, like I can always put my headphones in or something, but, um, yeah. And then, and then I just go all day, you know, stop for lunch and then do another, you know, four or five hours. And sometimes there's a lot of late nights and I'm working, you know, on, on weekends. Um, but that's typically what it's like. It's, it's, it, you know, it's like going to work, clocking in and, and, uh, and clocking out and just, kind of feverishly getting done and usually it takes me oh probably a day a day and a half to produce um a a decent chapter Hmm. Mm -hmm. um maybe maybe half a chapter depending on on the particular project but but i can get a draft like i can i can get a full draft of a book done and this is after it's been outlined and the research has but you know been done and the quotes are in there and that kind of thing sure just in terms of like getting all the text out um, I can get a draft of a book done in probably mm, three weeks, maybe something like that. Wow. That, that is fast. I, I think though people don't realize, and I certainly didn't, um, how much is going on before you even write, right? Cause yeah. you've done some reading, you've done the research, you've built some creative tension. I was reading uh, a book by John Cleese, you know, the Monty Python dude. Yeah. Yeah. Great book, tiny little book on creativity. Um, and he talks about these studies that that show that the most creative people, and it's sort of counterintuitive, are often the ones that procrastinate, especially on like big decisions or, you know, projects, because what's happening in your unconscious, uh, at least this is the theory, is that your your, your mind is working things out, right? Yes. So there's a lot of work that's happened that you're not even conscious of by the time you sit down to actually create. And I wonder if that I've always felt bad because I'm kind of the same way, you know, I'll get a deadline. And then I'll just like in the middle of it, I'll, I'll, uh, the the time period, say it's seven or eight months to write a book. I'll just take inexplicably, like take three or four months off right? <laughs> and then write in these <laughs> right. births. Like my first book, I wrote like uh, a quarter of it the last weekend before it was due. Um, yeah. And actually it wasn't bad stuff. It was some of my best stuff. But I think there's a lot of kind of stressing out and and your, your brain is kind of working out the puzzle uh, before you even get to the writing. Yes. And, and I don't know if you're like this as well, but I do a lot of writing in my head. It almost feels like, you know, I'm, I'm never sitting down at the blank page going, oh gosh, what do I think about this? Or what do I, uh-huh. it, it's just a matter of, of playing the notes that you've kind of been composing all along. 
and 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 I'll you know make little notes. I, I I'm very low tech, um, you know, so I don't have like the apps and the different uh, software and things that a lot of writers use. But I just use my email. Um, so if I'm just sitting around and I'm thinking of a particular line, or even a series of lines, or just a, a, a you know a topic that I want to cover, I'll I'll pull up an email and write an email to myself saying, you know, and, and in the, you know, the subject line just says book. So I know how to organize it. And then when I get in now to write it, I'll pull up all the book emails and go, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and take this piece here and plug it in, take that piece there and plug it in. And so I've got all these kind of scraps everywhere. And I use the little stickies on my laptop as well. Um, and just have all these little, you know, pieces of, of, uh, w- what look like just little, you know, scribblings and, and trash, but, they're just the little, you know, it's the pastiche that I use to, you know, create what comes out at, at the end. So I, I mm. think what a lot of non-writers don't understand is sometimes writing looks like sitting there doing nothing. Right. That's <laughs> why I told my wife. Yeah. <laughs> you know, staring out the window, like I'm actually working right now. <laughs> yes. You need that, 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 uh, space. Absolutely. So, I mean, any weird quirks to your writing routine? Uh, well, you've already said one. Email yourself. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. That's weird. Um, yeah, okay. but do you like hang upside down or sharpen pencils or? No, I I, I think I'm really boring in in that <laughs> regard. It's it's just me and a laptop and sometimes you know a stack of books or whatever that sure. I need. Uh, but I, I don't have any kind of you know routine or any kind of uh, ritual or anything that I go through. <laughs> okay, that's okay. Um, emailing yourself, I think, qualifies. Like I said, okay. um, I mentioned I love the Imperfect Disciple. What a great book! Um, and I'm going to read just a, one of the quotes from from there that I, I think really kind of captures your style and approach to a lot of your books. Actually, uh, you write every day. I wake up into Romans seven. Every dadgum day, my alarm goes off. And I sit up in bed, my uncoffeed consciousness groggily gearing up for sins, both of omission and of commission. I'm engaged in the flesh before I even get my feet on the carpet. And yet, right there beside me, laid out like the day's outfit for school are new mercies. Love that. Uh, and it's so vivid. I can picture you there with your crazy hair. And and, <laughs> and, and it just speaks to how, you know, we some people... You know, I get a kick out of these people. I've heard people that go like, I haven't sinned in four years. And it's like, okay, dude. <laughs> right. Um, I talked you- to that guy after a conference one time. <laughs> I'll bet you did. <laughs> I said, I think you're sinning right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, you just broke your streak, dude. Exactly. By bragging <laughs> <laughs> about it. Um, yeah, but obviously these people have a very, mm, how shall you say, limited view of what constitutes sin, right? If you can stay away from the dirty dozen, you're good. Uh, whereas you, and I think this is a more biblical view of sin, uh, see it as a more pervasive thing. All our even best assumptions and, and attempts to live a whole, holy life are shot through with sinful impulses and desires. Uh, and like you say, before you even get out of bed. And this is one thing I love about your books, um, is that I feel like you don't approach the topic like, okay, here, I'm the expert. I'm over here in the ivory tower. Uh, I've ascended to this height. And now I'm going to tell the peasants in the valley how to do this. You kind of come alongside them as as a fellow struggler who doesn't have it all together um, and, and share, you know, God's grace and forgiveness. But I'm wondering, is that just a literary device? And, and, and secretly, you're like a super saint who kind of floats around your house. And uh... 
I think my wife should answer that question. <laughs> no kidding, right? She's like, no, no, it's legit. It's, it's legit, man. Thing. The guy's got problems. He's got <laughs> issues. <laughs> Put Becky no, on the line. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's a literary device in the sense that certainly the way, you know, the voice that you use and, and, and the way you want to write a book is an intentional thing for sure. Sure. Um, but it's also, I, I think, part of uh, of who I am. I think I preach in, in a similar way. Um, obviously, sermons are different than than book writing. And so I you know approach the composition of a sermon differently. But in terms of my voice and kind of the pastoral sensibility that I want to bring to it, I think that's somewhat similar. And I think for people who know me, uh, you know, well, beyond chit chat, you know, the kind of conversations I have with, with, you know, the ministry residents that I disciple or, you know, closer friends, I, I think it's a similar kind of sensibility. And it, it it's all kind of predicated on the idea um, that if you don't know the real me, then you don't really know, you don't really know me. We, we're not really in relationship. If hmm. I'm putting on the kind of guise of, you know, the sage or the expert or, and when it comes to writing, um, those kind of voices, I think tend to be the most boring voices to read. It depends, you know, it depends truth? on what kind of book you're wanting to read. If I'm wanting to read an academic book, then the expert voice makes total sense. Sure. But if I'm trying to read a book that is uh, meant to encourage me or, um, you know, it's explicitly meant to edify me in some sense or, you know, minister, yeah, minister to me in some way, the books that are written, you know, that are written for that purpose, but with the voice of some kind of detached, impersonal, well, here's just the facts. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that, you know, that I can't find them useful or that there's nothing useful in them, but they don't tend to resonate. Um, you know, they just, they don't have uh, a sense of beauty or worship to them. And that's the kind of thing that I've always tried to to bring to my writing is, um, you know, a sense of, uh, this is going to sound kind of, I guess, elitist and, and um you know, snobby, but a sense of artistry to it. I want it to be well-written. I want it to be, you know, have an exaltational sense to it, but I also want people to feel helped and, and cared for and in a, in, in a way pastored. It's not the same thing as pastoring, obviously, but, um, you know, I, I don't want to write a toaster manual about Jesus. I want it to sing and I want other people to maybe be prompted to sing when they read it, you know? Yeah, no. And I think I think your your pastoral ministry has equipped you along those lines. Um, I'm guessing, though, that you'll get all boring and and uh, elitist as soon as you get your doctorate. I know you're in the process of doing that. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, but I'm getting the demon, not the Ph.D. Oh, so, okay. Okay. so it's not as good. It's not as, you know, I mean, I'll, around I'll call here, you doctor half the time I'll call you. Yeah, doctor well, half I mean, the they're supposed to they say a doctor is a doc, you know, doctorate's a doctorate. But we all know the Ph.D.s are the real doctorate. <laughs> but I'd go the, even I'd go even further, Jared. I'd say the guys that wear the white coats, man. Those oh, well, are the ones okay, that's right. If you haven't, if you can't <laughs> save somebody's life, you're not a real doctor, I guess. But right, according, I'm having a heart attack. Yourself. Doctor, come over here. He's according like, I got a PhD in theology. Sorry, right. <laughs> I'll pray for you. <laughs> Would you like to talk about Bavink? <laughs> <laughs> I can make you wish you were dead. That's, there, you, there you go. <laughs> 
but in, in any event, it's a it's supposedly you know it's a you know, it's a pro doc, so maybe it's a little more down to earth. I bet that you know that's kind of what I'm hanging my hat on. <laughs> there you go. I love it. I love it. Uh, so, what role does the very act of writing play in your own spiritual life or development? Because for me, I find often it's a very devotional experience, you know, like not just when I'm researching, but when I'm actually composing a chapter or an article, I'll find myself getting emotional, tearing up, uh, you know, really just communing with God as I am uh, trying to articulate some truth about him or some biblical idea. Is that your experience or is it kind of like you, you have that experience prior to that? And then when you're writing, it's, it's kind of all business. No, it's very similar, right? I mean, it, it you know certainly depends on on what you know uh, passage or portion sure. you're, in, you're in. But it, but if I'm not feeling something, if it's not kind of galvanizing my own affections, you know, for Christ or touching my heart in some way, and you know, I, I I'm somewhat suspect of what's coming out. But then when mm-hmm. it does, of course, it doesn't mean all of a sudden you know you're creating great art or anything, but the very fact that it's coming from a place of tenderness and emotionality in, in you means there's a pretty good chance it's going to have that effect um, on others. And, mm-hmm. and I can vividly remember writing uh, large sections of The Imperfect Disciple, um, you know, right here at Midwestern Seminary in, in the Spurgeon Library and, and, and coming to tears on, you know, mm-hmm. on certain portions that, um, we're just really coming from a place of vulnerability for me, but also just great appreciation for the good news and for the just the staggering scandal that grace is. And, um, you know, finding myself kind of touching these reservoirs of, uh, of, of praise for God, but, you know, also, you know, things that I had kind of kept covered maybe a little bit that I was kind of uncovering and kind of burying a little bit for the work. Hmm. And the response to that book has been tremendous. And so part of me wonders, it's not just, hey, this is, you know, the right subject at the right time, hitting the right audience and getting the right traction and that sort of thing. Um, I wonder if a, a large part of it is that pe- that carried through, that yeah. sense of vulnerability, of awe, of, of openness really seems you know, seems to have resonated with, with readers. Absolutely. Resonated with me. I felt that. Um, and I have no doubt that's, that's part of the reason for the book's success. Um, I mean, um, that, that seems like a cold word to use, but like you said, why it resonated with folks and, and really touched them. Um, Let's talk about social media a little bit. Uh, both of us are probably spent too much time on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know I do. My my wife uh, refers to it as my mistress, which I kind of resent. Oh. But yeah, so maybe it's an issue. Um, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. And she tends to be the butt of some of my jokes, which she doesn't always appreciate. So I pray for her. Um, but, you know, I just got this. I mentioned that I was going to be talking to you today on Twitter. Um, and uh, one gentleman uh posed a question that I thought was great. Sam Luce, he, he asked this, does social media add or sap creativity and energy for writing for you? Wow. Isn't that a good one? Yeah. I, well, I, I don't know if there's an easy answer to it. I think it's, I think it does, it can do both. Sure. You know, depending on how you're curating 
your feed, who you're listening to, and certainly how much time you're spending on it and how you're spending time on it. I, I have found it greatly encouraging in the past, particularly when I was pastoring, because I was in a very, um, I was in a rural area, very irreligious um, area, and didn't have a lot of ministry colleagues or, or you know, people that I've, you know, that were around me that I felt were on the same page, just in terms of other pastors and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of felt tribally, you know, alienated and social media was a great encouragement because I was able to connect with so many voices that were just daily helping me, um, you know, remember the gospel. Yeah. But then of course there's, there's all the frittering, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as well. And I, and, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, joking around or else I wouldn't do it. Um, so I, I think, you know, Twitter, especially that's where I spend more of my time than any other social media kind of outlet. Um, the, the people that I follow, I, I tend to follow because I find them helpful or encouraging or uh, maybe amusing, but it's, it's, yeah, it's a, I don't want to say it's life giving cause that it's probably overstating uh, w- what it is, but I find it more helpful than harmful. Yeah. But certainly if you get sucked into you know, certain, you know, corners of it or de- even certain debates at certain times, it, it can set. But I, I would say if, if I'm, if I'm weighting it, if I'm putting it on a scale, I would say it's more helpful. It's been more helpful to me in, in encountering thoughts I, I wouldn't have had encountering even resources and books and other voices that have helped me that I wouldn't have been exposed to if it weren't for Twitter. So it's probably been more helpful to me, um, cumulatively than and sapping, I guess. Yeah, no, that's good. I think that's well said. And it can, yeah, it can go either way. That's, that's yeah. my sense, right? Cause you can, obviously you can waste a, you can waste a lot of time. Uh, but you're also, like you said, encountering ideas, uh, uh, hopefully being in, in, inspired or at least amused by some folks that you follow. Uh, and, uh, yeah, as long as you don't get sucked in, man, cause there are, it, it can really rob my peace. I do this thing. This is weird, but I'll like, someone who really irritates me, maybe I'll mute them or something. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I'll go and look them up later. Okay. what do they say now? Right. <laughs> like, what am I doing to myself? Um, <laughs> so yeah, but if you use it well, I think it, and it's a, it's a great way to connect with readers, obviously. Yes. Uh, and I know there's so many people that love your tweets and have probably encountered you that way. And then hopefully go in and, uh, read a book of yours. You would um, hope, wouldn't you? The, right, the trans- I know. It doesn't seem to have the same translation. If I, I have, I think like 50,000, like 50,000 followers on Twitter. If every one of them would just buy one copy of my book. No kidding. Every time you write a book, come on. <laughs> they're, they're stealing from you, really. If they're following you. Know, you, yeah, you, getting, don't even have, yeah. you don't even have to buy all my books, but just if everyone would buy one book. There you go. I'd be I'd be okay for just a little bit, you know. Put that out there. Put that out there. See if it works. Uh, I've tried, Drew. They're not listening. They're not listening. The, the algorithm is stacked against us. <laughs> awesome. Well, and it is a weird thing, right? Because it's like you're using this new short form media to try to maybe sell this long form ancient medium. But anyway, yeah. um, it, the, such is the world. Uh, so here's a weird thing. So after writing, how many, would you say 24 books? Yeah, 23. Uh, and, and your genre is nonfiction uh, Christian books. Um, you go and write a young adult novel? That's weird. <laughs> yeah. 
I have not read it yet, but I'm going to. I'm not a young adult, so I mean, I'm, I'm not well, it, your target it, market. It, it, it's a masterpiece, I have to tell you. Okay, well, now I'm really intrigued. <laughs> okay, so what, what was behind that decision? Well, see, I got to tell you, this is a really interesting story, and a lot of people don't know this, but I began writing as a novelist and oh, no wanted to be a fiction writer and, in fact, got my first agent writing uh, novels. My very first book was a novel, um, which didn't get published until later. It did get published later. Um, but when I was first trying to get published, didn't get published. Um, so I wrote a second novel and it didn't get published. Um, in fact, I still think that's one of the best things I've ever written. It's still just sitting on my laptop waiting for its day to be released. Then I started writing a third novel, got about halfway through and we started planting a church in, in Nashville, Tennessee. And my agent came about six months, a year into that and was looking for the manuscript. Hey, you know. Uh, you got something I can show. And I said, I really don't. I don't have time to finish that story. Um, but I've got these, these, uh, the sermon series that I've done on the history, you know, through the gospels that I could turn into, uh, you know, a book manuscript. And he was pretty, um, you know, cynical about, about the whole thing. Um, he said, you know, you're really, you're really a fiction guy. You, you don't have a platform. Uh, from which to write nonfiction, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, this is all I got. And he said, all right. So I'm, I put a proposal together and we got a book deal. This little book, you know, publishing agreement with Kriegel. And that was my first okay. book. Yep. It was called Your Jesus is Too Safe. Um, came yes. out. Yep. And then the next thing I know, um, that's kind of parlayed into more opportunities to write um, nonfiction. And somewhere along the line, um, I asked, I had some time to finish that, that novel that I, that, that I didn't finish. And I asked my agent about it and he said, you know what? You're really a nonfiction guy now. <laughs> <laughs> so all along, you know, of these, you know, 20, whatever, uh, nonfiction books, I, I've wanted to get back into fiction. And that first novel that I wrote that didn't get published in the beginning, um, David C. Cook put it out. Not too long ago, um, I got the rights back after about a year or so because they just did it as an e as an e e first. You could get a print on demand, but you couldn't like walk into a bookstore and find it or anything. So it didn't do too well, and I got it back. Um, and then this book, Echo Island, is basically that book that I had started writing before we planted and stopped, oh, wow. which I did not envision as a young adult novel, but B and H. Um, you know, reached out to me to ask about writing for children. And I said, you know, I don't really feel that I have that kind of gifting or inclination, um, you know, to write for tween, you know, tween uh, stories. But I've got this half written novel that could be a young adult. I didn't envision it, in, you know, as a young adult novel, but it could be because the main characters are four teenage boys. And they said, well, we're not really doing young adult stuff, but we'll take a look. And so I just thought, yeah, you know, whatever. So I set this half written book from 50, literally 15 years ago or whatever. <laughs> I think it was probably 12 years ago. Um, you know, when I, you know, stopped writing this thing, I sent it to them and they loved it and they wanted me to finish it. And so being able to breathe new life and come back to storytelling, which was my first love. Right. Awesome. Um, has been fantastic. And, and I hope, you know, you know, obviously you know, no one's beaten down my door to write fiction right now, but I would love to get back into that world and kind of have a foot in both in, in, in both places in the future. 
That's awesome. Yeah. Coming back your first love. I did not know that about yeah. you, that you, you started off that way. And I think you need to fire your agent because obviously he doesn't know <laughs> well, what he's saying. Well, I did, actually. So <laughs> okay, my, <so>. my, <laughs> my current agent is uh, much more amenable to uh, understanding the, uh, the the delicate nature of, of this artist. You know, you are an artiste. You're an artiste. <laughs> <Right>. Yes. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Okay. So last question for you, Jared, and this has been awesome. Um, if someone has never read a Jared, if there's someone out there still, which is hard to imagine, I know it's a horrific thought who has not read a Jared C. Wilson book, where do you recommend that they start? Yeah, you know, you, you sent this question ahead of time. And I thought about it for a little bit. I, I, I would say, um, probably gospel wakefulness. Ah, yes. Which is a book that I had come Great out book. with Pathway, um, I think 2011. Um, probably my third book, second or third book. And it, it really is kind of the center of uh, of the wheel of, of all the work that I've done. Like, um, you know, if all the other books would be like spokes coming out of this central idea. Almost every book that I've written since then has been basically taking the concept of gospel wakefulness and pushing it into a different corner or trying to apply it to a different aspect of mm -hmm. either the scripture or the Christian life or just some other concept. Um, so it, 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 it really is kind of the, you know, the, the anchor of the constellation of, of the things I've done. Um, so either that or probably the imperfect disciple, I think, which is yeah. more recent, obviously, but um, I think showcases more of, my personal side and a little bit more, I was a little more creative with that book. It's a little more creative nonfiction kind of, and um, yeah, somewhat transparent kind of personal storytelling and that, and that sort of thing. So maybe one of those two. Yeah, no, absolutely. Both awesome, awesome books. Jared, thank you so much for joining us. And it, it's been a pleasure. Um, and I know it's been, it'll be helpful to our listeners. Uh, and speaking of uh, listeners, please check out Jared's book. Uh, there's a little website called Amazon.com. Where else do you uh, recommend they get your books? That's a good place. I mean, you could go to uh, Christian book uh, distributors or yes. anywhere where they're sold. Yeah. CBD. Absolutely. Anywhere or a bookstore. You can't say CBD, can... though, because oh, CBD is a different thing now, right? Oh, is it? Oh, I don't well, know. I mean, if you go to CBD dot whatever, you're going to find the bookstore. But CBD is like a marijuana thing or something. <laughs> yes, the you know oils. What I mean? The oils, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't ever say you can find me on CBD because. Try, try CBD. Uh, yeah. Try <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. Quirk. I, let me go back. The quirk for my writing, man, is I get hopped up on CBD oil. It's, that's the secret. I knew there was a secret, I, Jared. I don't, I, I don't even know what, what do you do with it? Do you rub it on your. Do you, Burn I, it. I do not know. Yeah, is it like an incense thing? You drink you it? it? I don't even know what you do with it. I don't either, man. But they're so, everywhere. It's a huge I know. And it's, yeah, it's like the big thing. You, you got to get into the CBD oils. This uh, episode brought to you by CBD. <laughs> we'll get them to sponsor uh, this episode. <laughs> Although we're pretty poor pitchmen for it because we don't seem to know much. No. Um, but yes, please check out Jared's books. They're, they're, uh, they're awesome. Start with the yeah, gospel wakefulness, imperfect disciple, which I absolutely love. Or if you're a pastor, if you're a Christian leader, 
um, you know, the pastor justification or uh, the gospel driven church. Excellent reads. And if you enjoyed this conversation, which I know you did, uh, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple or Google podcasts. Uh, my love language is words of affirmation. So if you can even just go on there and say something nice about me, um, I'll appreciate that. Uh, thank you again for listening. And until next time, keep reading.